You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their lives because I believe that our feelings of being enough, successful, fulfilled, worthy is not out there somewhere. Once I have this job, meet this person, live in this house, make this much money, then I will feel it. If we keep putting it outside of ourselves, we'll just keep on chasing it. It's something that we have to claim it for ourselves every single day, sometimes every moment of the day. And that's why I love getting into people's full journeys. So we don't just see that there's someone that, look, they did all of this. So everything, they must always feel successful and fulfilled. And they must have always known what they wanted. <laughs> nope. Today, I am talking to Gary John Bishop. He is one of the leading personal development experts in the industry and is a New York Times bestselling author. He's written several books. Unfuck Yourself is one. Stop Doing That Shit. And his new book, Wise as Fuck, is coming out soon. <laughs> as you can see, Gary and I share um, a love of using certain words. <laughs> and yeah, I love this conversation getting into his whole story and how he approaches personal development and why this is what he ended up getting into. Let's get into the episode. So let's start. I like to get into maybe childhood, but I feel like mostly like teenage years. What was your life as a teenager? Because I feel like as a teenager, we can be in a variety of like wanting to fit in, but stand yeah. out, trying to figure out how we're going to be. Do we go to college because it's expected of us because we want to? Yeah. Like, where were you in those years? So I, I was in Glasgow, Scotland in my teenage years. And um, this was during the time of, you know, Margaret Thatcher. And so there was rampant unemployment. And it was really pretty significant for a lot of young men and women in Scotland at that time. So my concern was, you know, believe it or not, even at 15, you know, I was thinking, how am I going to make a living? You know, and it wasn't, oh, I'm going to college or something. You know, that just wasn't even on my radar. Like, how am I going to make money to be able to feed yeah, myself? Yeah. Like, like, sort of, you know, yeah. and it was, you know, there was, it was all about security. You know, you wanted something that was long term. And I was kind of raised in that environment, you know, like, you got to think long term, you know. So, and my mind was get a government job or, you know, will I get an apprenticeship and become a tradesman? And then, fun, you know, as, as I turned 16, I left the high school at 16. My first job was working in the office uh, at a theater, <laughs> which was like a, a left turn. But I'd, I'd always kind of, you know, I'd been into music and all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. So, you know, I kind of thought, well, this will be awesome. You know, I'll go work in a theater, you know, which was excruciatingly painful for a 16-year-old Scottish boy, you know, because it was all... It was all women, you know, and so I was painfully embarrassed. You know, I was shy. I was really, really shy. And they did an awesome job of trying to kind of coax me out, you know, but I was just like not having it. I'm like, no, I would mumble under my breath. And But I did it, you know, it was great for me. But yeah, I would say like that was a big concern was how to make a living, how to forge a life for myself. I knew even then I was going to have to get it done myself. 
Yeah, and so you're. Pro- I'm guessing you're not like thinking like, what am I passionate about? Oh, like, hell, it's just uh, like, what will give me sustainable living? Like the benefits, the, the yeah. like longevity. I'm like everybody else. My yeah. passions happen at the weekend, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, this is a new thing, by the way. This whole thing for living my passion and all this stuff. That's not how people have lived in the past. It was like, how do I pay the power bill? Yeah. Right. And then maybe I'll build train sets at night or something. Right. But but I'm not. I mean, the idea of living a passionate life was foreign to me. It might have been. I mean, I was. I mean, I, some people like to see. You know, well, we were working class. Oh, you know, when I look back at my childhood, I felt as if we were aspiring to be working class. You know, like I really felt as if that was a part of my. You know, I mean, where I'm from in Scotland. As I like to say, I'm from the side of the tracks where they stole the tracks, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the most um, salubrious of environments. But at the same time, you know, I, I loved it. I, you know, I, I still do love. I'm from the East End of Glasgow. I love the East End. I love the people there. And what is the East End? So the East End is kind of like the bad side of Philly. Oh, okay. <laughs> Right. So, so the parts of Philly where you wouldn't go at night, that's kind of like a lot of the East End. It's not whole of it, but it's a lot of it, you know. But it's this kind of dichotomy. It's like very loving environment and very confronting environment. You know, there's no room for... It was very challenging, I guess, when I was younger because I was very creative. And I felt as if, oh, crap, you know, like I can't be creative. That wasn't the case, you know. I mean, that was just you. That was me, right? Telling fact, myself. There was some, like somebody, even like the really, the kids who were like very tough and you know sometimes even violent. They kind of like liked that I was creative. It was kind of like they would kind of poke fun at me for it, but they liked it too. Like I said, it was for some people in the UK and and obviously in the United States that can kind of concern for eating and paying bills and stuff. They weren't born into that concern. Right. They had, did have things in mind like, Oh, well, I'll take a year out and travel through Europe. And right. Right. Like I'm like, how much is the bus fare into the city center? That was kind of like my, you know, so I, uh, yeah, it was all very much survival based, I guess. Yeah. And so then, so what, when you have that first theater job, you're still in high school, though, yeah? No, or is that I, no out of I, high left, school? I was 16 and gone first oh, job right in there. Oh, you left high school because yeah, you got to make money yeah, to provide yourself. 16 and, and, I, and my first, I mean, I sound like I'm about 97 here, but my first income <laughs> was like 30 bucks a week, you know? Like, I made no money. It sounds like I'm, oh, yeah, and then we all rode around in horses. No, we didn't. I mean, it was a bustling, busy, metropolitan city. It was, you know, a million people. There was things happening. There was entertainment and sports and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, there I, I am with my squeaky little voice and my kind of painfully shy approach to members of the opposite sex. And uh, then off, and I, I don't even know if we call them opposite sex. Anyway, women. And uh, I'm not even sure. Like, are yeah, we but there's a lot of words that we are, are changing are we right same? now. I yeah. I, and I'm okay wrestling with all that stuff, by the way. I'm fine wrestling with that. I'm, I'm fine kind of trying to find myself and all that. But anyway, I I guess, you know, like it was, it was, if I look back at it now, it was tough. I didn't know where I was going, but I did know that I had to keep paddling. 
and that's something I guess that's lived with me all the way through to to the present time. So what? Yeah. So what's next? Uh, like, do you work at the theater for a long time? Do you have several different types of jobs? Like, where is there like transition in your yeah. life? Yeah. Because I make up, you know, if somebody that's writing, you've ri- written some amazing New York Times bestselling books that are yeah. very much calling people out on yeah. their bullshit. Is yeah. That's what I have a YouTube series going. All I call bullshit. Yeah. About these thought processes. I'm like, you, yes, the titles yeah. of your books are very much in line with me, right. like your messaging, right. whatever. So I make up for us to be able to talk about these things. It's because we've hit some real, yeah, ahas in our own life, calling ourselves out. You see, it's the, weird, it's the weirdest thing. You know, I've spent so much time working on myself and dealing with myself, you know, that when I talk about my past, it seems like, like I don't even, you know, it just seems like, you know, but as I was, Growing up, it was a big deal, you know. As a young man, it was like, oh, the past I've had, you know, <laughs> like the life that I've had. Right, right. But now it just seems like, meh. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Because I've done all that work on it. Like, I, I managed to deal with it in a way that I actually, it, it doesn't have any impact on me. I didn't look towards it as some kind of, you know, like there's some clues back there or something. But anyway, I, I worked in the theater for about eight months. But my si- I had three older sisters, you know, and my mom and my dad, you know, but my three older sisters were kind of like, they were always kind of on me, you know. We were and are so tight, you know. We're just such a, a, a like a proper group, you know. Like we were, we were like the angry Von Trapps, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but we, uh, but my sister was like, no, no, you got it. You're a young man. You got to get a trade. So I did. I, eventually, I got a trade, you know, and I, and I kind of went into the trade. I did that for about 18 months and I realized... And what's the trade? like? Oh, I, w- I did like uh, glass and and like like sometimes I worked on like big churches and stuff. and Yeah. Right. So it that was, was the thing, glass, like installing glass. Right. But if some oh. of it was like, like doing these big ornate lead panels and all oh. that stuff. And then wow. sometimes just, you know, a storefront, you know, it was like it was a whole mishmash. But it was a good trade. That would, you know, at a time, by the way, when my friends were scrambling, like everybody around me wanted a trade. So when I got one, people were like, holy shnikes, you got a trade. But, uh, but I only did because it. Because that's like security, right? It's like that, security. usually you get into a trade, like you can work there the rest of your life, good benefits, get. And, right? and you can move around, you know, you could go to like Liverpool or London or something. And, and, and there was a pathway, you know, like you could make a really good living and, you know, and settle into whatever that pathway. I mean, provides. I feel like these days are still, it's still a good route to go. Yeah. Right? I if mean, you, I, don't... you know, one of the things that I did get from that time in my life is I do love working with my hands. I really do enjoy it. I like swinging a hammer around, you know, I mean, I, like most men that I know anyway, I curse my way through it, but, but I, but I, I do enjoy it. I really do. Like if something goes wrong in the house, I'm like, oh, I'm fixing that. You know, I'm definitely going to fix that. My wife's rolling her eyes like, here we go again. But I, can but we I please do. just call somebody? No. Well, she's like, you're a New York Times bestseller. Can we not just hire the guy? And I'm like, no, no, go. I'm going to get some two by fours. Let's get this done. You know, like. <laughs> Let me do it. I'm I know. Make it I'm work. Like, oh, get me the screws, right? <laughs> we don't need screws. I don't care. Let's get some. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I uh, I did the trade for about eighteen months, and then my sister, who's like the middle of the three, she worked for the government, and she said, "You know, I, I think I could get you a temporary shot working for the government." And I'm like, "All right, now you're talking about a career. I could go work there for twenty years and retire or something, you know." 
And again, that was like the mindset, you know, it was like, right. Cause everything is like, this is more money security. Like you don't care what you're actually doing. No. Who you're like, and by the way, that's most people in the world. Yeah. They don't, they that's just why like, I'm talking about it. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're thinking like, well, if I can make, you know, blah, 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 blah a week, that'll be a good life. Not realizing that you're signing away 40 or 50 hours of that week to something you might hate. Right. But anyway, I did that when I actually worked for the Scottish equivalent of the IRS was just the <laughs> funniest thing. Like it was, um, it was very respectable, you know, like I had this position, if you like, and there was a pathway to grow, which was good. And I loved the people there. The people there were brilliant. You know, they were just, uh, I worked with some amazing people, like just really just genuine human beings. It's one of the things that I do miss about Glasgow in particular. Um, Anthony Bourdain said this about Glasgow, like you said, they're the most authentic people he's ever met and, and all his travels. And they are, they're like painfully authentic, you know. <laughs> but it's not like American authentic. American authentic is speaking your mind, you know, which is different. Right, right, right. Because speaking your mind can be very tinged with some terrible yeah, some opinions. You, you know? <laughs> but, but I tend to find Glaswegians speak their mind about themselves, you know, which is... To me, that's the real authenticity. It's when you tell the truth about yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Which means you actually have to like know yourself and not well, yeah, you the, have to, the like, version yeah. of yourself you feel like you should be and project into the right. world. But. Right. In general terms, like, and I'm talking obviously from my experience. Not, I'm not going to just kind of paint people with a big giant brush or something. But in my experience of, of people from Glasgow, they're the kind of people like, like they'll make you laugh, but you don't know. You don't know whether, like, you're hurt too. Like at the same, like, I guess it's painful and funny at the same time. Yeah, that's. I, I get that. That's kind yeah. of my favorite. Yeah, it's kind of like oh, yeah, <laughs> like, 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 I like hanging out with the Scottish people. It's great, and my feelings are hurt, but <laughs> that's as good. Very part. direct, and you're like, oh, that's funny. Oh, true. Oh, yeah. Um, so. I, I went and worked, I, I did this thing with the government. I went to work for the government. And then, truth be told, for I would say probably for 70 or 80% of that time, I, I really enjoyed what I was doing. I, I met great people. But again, I'm this young guy, you know, I'm like in my late teens, I'm in my early 20s. I'm like thinking, you know, the world is my oyster, right? <laughs> I got it. I got the right. government job. I mean, I'm set. I got it made, man. I got building up my little pension here. This will be good. And um, ride it out for the rest of my life. Right. But I, but I, actually in the background of all that, I had been a musician in Scotland and I had, uh, had gotten a development deal with CBS, which I, for about a year, you know, I was playing and recording under the kind of guidance of some big executive at CBS with my band. And then I, I stopped doing that. I'd really just quit music uh, when I was like 21. And then I got to 24 and I thought, well, what was- made you quit? Just uh, felt like, well, this is a waste of my time. I'm not going to yeah, go anywhere. Yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, it's, it's funny just how you like when you're in the middle of something, it seems to make total sense at the time. And then you look back in your life, and you're like, what the hell was I thinking? That happens for all of us, right? At various points, you're like, what, what was going on in my mind? And that's because when we're in our lives, it looks a certain way. So you're acting upon how it looks to you in the moment. And then when you get when you get past it and you look back, you're like, oh my gosh, how could I even see it that way? I missed this and I missed that and I missed that. 
So um, between the ages of 20, 21, 24, I've been doing music. In fact, I played a lot of soccer, which was my other passion. And then um, at 24, I went back into the music. I thought, this is too much fun. I loved it, you know. And then uh, I started playing again, and I met some great musicians. And, you know, but I was still working away, churning out my, my little pension efforts every week. And, um, and then I, I hit 25, and I just thought, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, I'm either going to make a break for being a musician, or I'm not going to do it. So I did. I made a break for being a musician. I started to play full time. I quit my job. And I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was having a lot of fun doing it. It was great fun. And what was that feedback like from your family? Like, you know, again, if, if you're in a community that's just like, no, we take jobs, we, yeah. you know, we need sustainable. Was Because that, that's a hard choice for us to make as a person. But then I think also when everybody in your life can be like, not everybody, but I feel like there's oftentimes love is expressed through fear. Yeah. No, that's no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. You need to take the safe job. You are talented, but... <laughs> Yeah. So did you have like pushback? You know, uh, by and large, the Scottish are kind of ballsy, you know, like they're kind of like screw this. You know, they just they they are that way, you know, very much. So they they, they'll play it safe and play it safe and play it safe. But if once the reasons are compelling enough, they'll just go for it. But surprisingly enough, you know, uh, my mom at the time, as she had been all the way through my childhood, you know, it took me a while to realize this, by the way. I had to go back and remember and think of things and be like, oh, my God, she totally did. Which was surprising. I never discovered this really until I was more into my 30s and really started to see, like, oh, how I cherry-picked my childhood and came up with my little semblance of reality. Right. But when I went back and, and really gave thought to it, I was, and then I, then I could started to see things in a slightly different way. But anyway, I, um, I th- she was very encouraging at me doing something that I wanted to do, you know, that I wanted to do. But at the same time, there was no help coming. You know, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, go be a musician and let me pay your electricity bill. You know, it's like, yeah, go ahead, do it. And if you screw it up, you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good, I'm like, I think that's a good way to show support. Yeah, it is. I, I, <laughs> There's no, like, for me, that would make me be more like, I'm doing that, like, all right, I'm all in, in many ways, because there's no safety net. Right. Right. I mean, there was no, I mean, my mother was kind of like that, you know, like my, so we had this thing, you know, like my dad was this, you know, kind of hard living Scottish man, but he was very loving. He would tell me he loved me, you know, and he would hug me and stuff. My mom was not like that. My mom was kind of like the flip side. She was like, get it done and shut up. And, you know, um, I often tell this story when I was a kid. You know, I think I was, I must have been about eight or nine or something. I was out playing in the street. And uh, these two brothers kicked my ass, right? And they scratched on my forehead and it was bleeding, you know. So I ran up to the house and I'm banging on the door. She'd locked the door. She comes to the door. And my, I was like, oh, those brothers beat me up. And she goes, right, okay, where are they? I said, they're down there. She goes, you're not getting in until you go and even that up. So <laughs> then, and then she shut the door on me in my face. I'm standing there like, okay. So I turned around, I went down the street, and I wiped the floor with a towel with them. Oh, my God. Right, like in a blind fury, like I just wailed on the towel with them. And then I came back to the door. I banged on the door again. She opened up the door, and she said, okay, did you do it? I said, yeah. 
She goes, good, get to your bed for fighting in the street. (laughs) (laughs) That actually happened. Like she had to go to my bed for fighting in the street. But I first had to tell you you need to settle. Well, I don't like to fight in the street, but if you are going to fight in the street, make sure you win was kind of what I got. Like stand up for yourself. Go stand up for yourself. Yeah, because that's sister. not right to fight. You know, it was all sisters, man. Like I said, you know, it was all. But uh, but uh, but again, it took me a lot of time to kind of wrap my head around it. You know, at the time, it seemed like what the hell? Like this doesn't even make sense to me. You know, because I had this image in my head when I was a kid, right? That you know, my mom should bring me blankets and chicken soup, right? And tell me I'm amazing and I love you. And she wasn't like that. It was like yeah. I'm going to equip you, you little sucker, you know, like she equipped me. But I, but at the time I couldn't see it. It wasn't until I was started to do work on myself. Right. Like, oh, she was this way and she was that way. And then when I got older, it was like, well, duh. Look at the environment yeah. I was in. You know, yeah. she made sure I, I could survive in this. And she right. did. And and I did. You know, I, I came out of there equipped. You know, I came out of Glasgow equipped, you know, for whatever the world... I've been in a lot of places in the world and, um, you know, I remember going to like the markets in Hong, the night markets in Hong Kong. I can spot trouble from about a hundred yards. Like I'm like, nope, <laughs> not him. No way over here. Like I, there's just, you end up with this kind of built yeah. be the same when I go to beauty places like New York. Like I, I know when to step my pace up. I know when he, you know, I remember even as a kid, my father would tell me, you know, like, Teaching me stuff like if you go into a bar, always sit with your back to the wall with your eye on the door, you know, like silly. And then as a young man, like, you know, I was working out in my head going into a bar who I'd have to knock out <laughs> first in a fight. Like, all right, him. And if I take him, then we're good. All right, good. I can settle down and have a good time. It was that kind of environment, you know, when I was young. You know, Glasgow in the 70s and the 80s was very very tough place very tough place yes yeah, i um i was a sound engineer for a long time so i've toured so i've gone to glasgow many times but for touring with bands so i only see like sparkly yeah. <laughs> like <Yeah>. amazing yeah. <laughs> like glasgow so yeah it's interesting to hear that perspective um okay so you're full into music yeah what happens did you then get the deal and yeah did- yeah i had i made like i, I never got a I got a bunch of indie deals. I made four albums and I toured a bit and opened up for some big bands. And and uh, I did that in the States, actually. I came to the States basically to get a vacation. And then within like six weeks, I had this little indie label out of Florida saying, hey, want to make an album? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? But again, you know, like I, I was a full-time musician for seven or eight years, you know. And, and I loved that. That was another great time in my life. It was just a brilliant opportunity to just kind of live free and clear of anything but my own creation, you know. It was pretty awesome. And and then I quit that. Actually, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. I, it wasn't some big heart-wrenching, you know, all my music careers off. Like, I never had any of that. I was just like, okay, next. You just felt like, I've done this. Yeah. I did yeah. it. It feels good. Yeah, I was, no. I was like in my early 30s and I remember saying, by this time I'd met my wife and I'm like, I, I don't really feel as if there's anything else I want to say. I kind of said it, you know, like I'm pissed off. There you go. Four albums. 
And so you didn't know I'm going to quit music because I'm going to do this now, or oh, did you? Or you're just no, like, no, I'm I done was with still music. in the mode of all right. Well, let me make a living. You know, and I went into the construction industry again because I knew it, and I became a contractor. And I, had a, I made a really good living at that. That was pretty awesome, actually, in terms of the amount of finance that I was able to generate in the life that I was able to provide for my wife and I. So I still had no sense that I would end up getting into this kind of domain, if you like, of personal development and developing yeah. myself. And, you know, I was pretty much, I, I kind of lived with this dichotomy. It was like, there was a kind of underlying noise that I thought there was more. But at the same time, my actions were consistent with not more. Right, my actions were consistent with a very kind of structured and limited outcome for me as a human being. But there was always that kind of it was like a toothache, you know, like yeah, but what about you know? And and I just eventually after a while, you just kind of put it down to a silly, you know, thing. Like I'm not going to indulge that or scratch that itch or anything, you know. So when do you start to then get into personal is it start from like you just starting to learn things or is it like again like some personal aha or did something happen in your life that made you start to think about life different yeah if if i was to look back at my life there was these little moments of thinking right (laughs) that would happen not a lot just little bits right sometimes when i say that to people you don't think they get insulted and then when you start to wake up to certain things, you realize how little you actually have been thinking. There's been a mm. lot of thoughting. No, what? totally. I feel like you just go to through, like people are so often just going through the motions of right. life. Right. And I, I'm writing my first book right now about the transformational effects of eliminating the word should from your life. Right. Which I did because everybody, I feel like, so I actually chose to give up the word over 10 years ago, I thought I lived my life my way. And I was so like, I do things my way. I'd almost committed suicide and sort of like, all right, I'm just only going to care about what I think and do me. And But my father passed away suddenly. I suddenly was like, I'm giving up the word should. And I stopped saying it. Mm-hmm. And that forced me to see how much of our lives is just, we're not thinking. We're yeah. just going into what the world tells us. What should I eat today? What should I wear today? Yeah. What should I, what kind of job should I have? And that like by mindfully tuning into that word, I'm constantly able to shift it. Because even though I don't say the word, it's still a feeling. So I still yeah. feel shoulds daily. But then I have this opportunity to like, it's like a speed bump to slow me down. So right. that's what I totally get when you're saying most people don't think. We don't. We're just going <laughs> through the motions yeah. of life and what the shoulds that are projected onto us from our parents, from capitalism, from TV, yeah. from everybody else yeah and, and by the way you're only ever believing what you're agreeing with right like i love it when people say you know you're being forced to believe no you're not there's a lot of shit you could believe you're believing what you agree with mm-hmm. right so you're building up this kind of landscape in your mind of what life is and what it isn't and then you live that and then you argue with people who don't see the landscape the same way as you do i remember the times in my life like Little bits of kind of, you know, like kind of opaque thinking, like what I'm really thinking more in theory than than in my circumstances. Stuff like, you know, silly things like, what if when I see red, what you're seeing is green, but we're both calling it red, right? So things like that when I was a kid, 
and I had no background in like philosophy or philosophical thinking, like nothing, and zero exposure to this. It. it was just arising as, you know, like little concerns, you know, like as I was growing up. So then what, I, what actually happened was when I started in my 30s, you know, I was realizing how painfully ill-equipped I was to deal with the greater complexities of life. Like I had, I had enough to get me through making a living and being productive. But I didn't, I didn't know how to master myself. I didn't know where to start. You know, most of what I was kind of getting fed was this kind of psychological view of life or what it is to be a human being or a religious or spiritual view of what it is to be a human being. I mean, they're fine. None of it worked for me. Mm -hmm. I made no sense to me. It was just, I could explain me, you know, know, this way and that way and that way and this way. And and then made some little leaps like, oh yeah, I'm this way because of that. Right. I'd never really considered, well, could have been anything though. That's just what I've ended up with. Like, this is how I explain myself. I'm this way because of that. But when I really challenged it, I don't know if it was because of that. That's just what I, what I'd come to believe. It could have been right. the cat that morning, right? But I had it was some other thing. Oh yeah, that's trauma based, but it could have been pudding based. I don't know, right? I don't, and I still don't. I, it just seems like that seems logical, right? Oh yeah, well that's because of the tough childhood. This is why I'm tough, right? Or some nonsense. Now anyway, a, a relative of mine actually said, you know. I did this workshop and immediately a workshop, you know, I'm like, oh, for you like tuned out. Nope. Not going to go to a workshop. Like my, like as I, my eyeballs rolled so far back in my head, I could see my ankles. Right. I was kind of like, what? And, and then he goes, I think you should do it. And I'm, this is getting weirder by the minute, you know, like workshop. Initially I'm thinking, okay, what are we building? You know, like we making, right. you know, let's <laughs> go to the workshop, build yeah. something. And he goes, no, no, it's really life changing. I goes, I'm, and these were my exact words. So I'll never forget it. I'm not doing your stupid workshop. <laughs> and then he said, I'll pay for it. And I said, all right, when is it? And so I, uh, I did this stupid workshop. And, but I went in, you know, like with this notion of like, this is going to be effing terrible, you know, <laughs> like, I, you know, and I said, and I was already, you know, like we, we all do this, you know, like we're already setting it up in our mind about what this is going to be. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm going in there. First person that says, let's hold hands, <laughs> right? Um, or if we are going to sit around a virtual campfire or something, I'm not doing it. If there's any singing, I'm out. You know, if there's any like, you know, shutting our eyes and envisioning ourselves as, as a color, no, right? I'm not doing it. But it wasn't like that, you know, it was very much, it was kind of like I went in in the first 20 minutes, it was like the guy was telling me I was an asshole. And I'm like, oh. This so it is- wasn't like super spiritual no, manifestation, like, whatever workshop. And my first thought was, well, this is good. But it wasn't, it was like, it was like a mirror. It was like I was getting some, I was getting my face forced at something, which initially I was like, I was resistant looking, but I was curious. It's kind of like, I'm interested in looking for other people, but not for myself. But the more I got into it, it was, um, the more I kind of did that kind of work, it was the first time in my life that I made sense. Like, it made sense. This makes sense to me. 
right? This makes sense, right? And, you know, as I started to get more and more into that work, I realized it was a philosophical point of view, it was like an ontological perspective coupled with, you know, basically this kind of existentialist view of what it is to be a freaking human being. And, um, and I loved it. It was like, oh, my God, people make sense to me. I make sense, you know. What is that yeah. like? Can you give a glimpse of like when you're like, OK, like this is starting to make sense. I'm starting to make sense. Like, were there like any like ahas you can remember about yourself or that changed your way of thinking? Tons of them. So I'd become this very uh, hardworking man. And hard work was my answer to everything. I mean, everything, right? I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm struggling in my relationship with my wife, I'll just work harder. There's no, there's no other gear. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'll just slip into being compassionate here, you know? <laughs> so I realized like I'd become just through observation and learning that I'd become this version of myself. And I didn't start out really, I'm going to go that way. I'd always thought of myself as like kind of the tender heart, right? But I'd become an asshole. And it was like, how did I become an asshole? I wasn't, you know. But in my 30s, if you'd ask me, if you say, are you an asshole? I'd be like, no, I'm a good guy, right? I'm one of life's good guys. And for all intents and purposes, yeah. But if you actually looked at the whole picture and told yourself the truth, you would see like there's other things going down that you're just kind of choosing to ignore or explain away. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, if you treat me bad, you know some shit like that. So um, it was really eye-opening to see myself holistically, like the whole of that, like the whole, like what what kind of footprint am I leaving, right? What's it like to be a friend of mine, right? What's it like Mm. to be a mom? So like that was something that helped you, like starting to not just think of you and your view of your life, but wait, what is it? Let me sit in my front. Yeah. What is it like for well, to be a friend? Well, then, I what started, like? then, then life started to make sense. Then it was like, well, no wonder I don't have X, Y, or Z in my life. Because <laughs> this is who I am. <laughs> you know, like every crappy relationship that I'd ever had, I noticed there was one common denominator, not two. <laughs> that was me. I was Why has all of- this happened to me? Why am I always in these? Why do I always am in these? relationships where everybody treats me like shit or like and I and I built up this whole thing like it was this narrative in the background of my consciousness like this thing back here this kind of setting that I'd place myself in I really started to see myself like an actor in a play that I'd written but I swore that I was I didn't write it I swore that I was just thrown into it and I had to work it out and then I started to see that I'd written it Mm. like I'm this way, he's that way, she's this way, she's that way, this is this way. Like I had written it based on certain experiences. I'd come to some firm ideas of what life is and isn't. And I lived that. Like that's true. And it wasn't until I was in my, like I said, my late 30s, early 40s, I started to realize that I'd in fact made it all up that I'd experienced something, told myself something, and believed what I told myself. And I did that every step of the way through my childhood, my young adulthood, my adulthood. Like I'd come to this place where the myself, other people, and life itself looked a certain way. And for me, none of that was an opinion. For me, all of that was the truth. 
none of it kind of like played around in my mind like that it was even debatable, right? Like, no, life is this way, right? And then I started to realize, well, hold on a minute. If it is that way, we'd all see it that way. They don't. I see it that way. How come I ended up seeing it this way, right? And if I take away all the potential for victimization, self-victimization, like, well, society did this to me or my parents did this to me or, you know, whatever. If I take all of that away, I realized that I had the reality that I had settled on as true. And I never resisted it, never questioned it. I just lived it. And then when you see like the kind of paradigm that you've got yourself in, you'll see the top of it and the bottom of it, and you'll see the limit of your potential as a human being. You, me, we live in a paradigm of potential. It's not anything's possible. It's some things are possible. Mm -hmm. So when somebody comes to you with, oh, yeah, but this is possible, the first thing you think is either I'm being duped, like you're trying to fool me or something, or you're an idiot. You don't know reality. But that is their reality. Yeah. So that was like, that was, it was really like a, a massive awakening to the constraint of being myself, right? Like, and that, to me, that's the hardest part of any transformations, you see how locked you are. And then the struggle is to kind of, you know, get out of that. But the real key is not to get out of it, but to actually see it and observe it and accept that for what that is. Because in that kind of thinking, you start to see that that thing that you've become is a very small part, exists in a very small, as a very small thing in a much greater context. And so uh, that, the gloves were off then. It was like, okay, I'm doing this work on myself. This is great. I'm getting freer and more effective at being me and, and stretching myself and quite literally being someone that I didn't think I was. And then, uh, and then I got fascinated by the notion of just helping other people, like just, you know, like how can I support you and how can I – and that's, I just went tumbling into – the personal growth industry, but not to become what I've become. There was no intention of that. It right, you're not, okay, I just had this awakening. Great, I'm gonna take this and now make this be like my next like yeah. moneymaker or whatever. Maybe it's just like- Somebody's guru or something, you know, like that was not in my mind. I, the one thing that came out of it was this profound humility, you know, like I was, I got really small, but in a really powerful way. Like I stopped trying to tell people about me because there was no point to it. Um, it just seemed so stupid waste of my life. You know, like, this is how great I am. And I really just started to get fascinated by people like, you know, what, what you got going on and how can I help you with that? And, how can I? and so I turned myself inside out. It, it was over years. One of the things that kind of pisses me off, just one of the things, there's a lot, but this is one of the things that pisses me off is the personal growth industry because people are in it as a career move. And it's a shit career move. It's a terrible career move because if you're in the personal growth industry for yourself, you'll always be crap at it. You'll never be good at it. The people who I've come across in this industry that are really good at what they do, it's not about them, 
right? So me being the personal growth industry is not about me. Like, yeah. who the hell am I? You know, I'm just some guy with, with currently with a beard. And um, there's nothing like fantastical happening over here. This isn't remarkable. This is an, an ordinary person. If there's anything at all that I might offer as being extraordinary is the task that I've given myself. I've given myself an extraordinary task. What's the task? To empower people. What people? All people. Like that's my task. That's what I'm up to. That's what I'm using my life for. And, I'm, and I really mean that authentically. That is what I'm using my life for. Is I'm using up the time, the days, the weeks, the months, the years to empowering people. It's not to empower my bank balance. How, how would you know that? Because I did it for years for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. And I had no intent of changing it, by the way, to doing it for something, right? And then, I, and then some people say, well, I'd like to be your client, and I would like to. Okay, fine. And I made a very good living at that. I liked, loved doing it. But that was all I was going to do. I was empowering people. My life was working. I, you know, my family was working. My, and then, you know, a client I mean, said, you know, you should write a book. And that changed everything but then all it did was just raise the bar it was like all right how many more people can i support and empower now right it makes it more accessible yeah. to people around the world that can pay for a, what however yeah. much yeah. the book cost twelve dollars twenty dollars twenty five dollar book rather yeah, than coaching I, sessions or ther- I love whatever that. absolutely yeah. love that i don't i don't personal growth shouldn't you don't need to be wealthy to have personal growth you know you can yeah, if you and there's a lot of great work out there, you know. I'm not even just banging a drum about what I say or do, but there's a lot of great work out there. The key is, will you fully adopt it? You know, yes. If you fully adopt it, you can really change your life, like dramatically change your life, even the things that you think are not. It's funny if you ask somebody, do you think per, like personal improvement or dramatic change is available to you? They'll say yes. They'll say it's available. I'm either doing it or I'm struggling with it, but I think it's available to me. Mm. If you ask that person to look in the life, they can tell you at least one person that they think it's not available for. Hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, it's available for everybody, but not them because they're an asshole. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was like, the more of the thinking, because I was like, hmm, what would that mean? And I myself thinking like, can I think of it? Somebody that's more well, but yeah, because you're making up that person's never going to change. Right. It's not available to them because they are no way. They're going to say no to the workshop, the book, the this, the seeing things differently. They're so stuck in their reality. So now you're conflicted. So you're saying anything's possible, but not for everybody. Well, then it's not. Then it's bullshit. So that's a big thing to get past. That's actually one of your own constraints. We see things are possible for certain things, but not for that person. Right. And that was a big that was a big thing for me to get my head around. Like, if I was truly going to change, I had to really start to embrace the notion that everybody could. Like, it, it exists as a possibility for everybody. I might not be articulate enough to give somebody something that causes them to think in such a way. But to think that it doesn't exist for them is an illusion, right? It's a very, and, and, you know, like, I, I, I spent a little over four years of my life, like traveling the world, delivering workshops, believe it or not, to thousands and thousands of people from every culture you can imagine. And people telling me stuff like about their lives that was the, sometimes the most horrific stuff you could imagine, right? And 
but I would watch those people. I would coach them through certain spaces and I would watch them transform the most messed up situations, like stuff that would curl your toes, right? And they did it and they worked their way through it and it was challenging and it was difficult and it was la, 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 la. But they came through the other side with like a grace and a, and, and a freedom and an effectiveness that they'd never known themselves. They didn't even know it was available for themselves. And when you get, when somebody kind of gets to that point in their life, their immediate thought is, oh, shoot, my friend Tom, he needs this, or my friend Emma, she needs this. Like, you start to think of the ways that you want your own environment to reflect what you're seeing and getting yourself. So my, my passion for this work is unquenchable. Like, I'm not. Like, I, you know, if, if I never sell another book, I don't care. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Psst, it's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief interruption. I want to make sure you know about some easy and affordable things to bring you daily doses of joy, empowerment, and inspiration. One, only $3.99, my daily inspiration app. It's called Own Your Awesome, available in the Google Play and Apple App Store. Hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. You can just swipe through, come to it at any time. You can also set a daily reminder time in the app. If you have the app, leave it a review. Thank you. I also have a physical card deck called the Own Your Awesome Deck. 52 affirmations, fun to have the physical deck. Pull a card, post the card up so you see it. So you put it in your mirror, on your office space, on your refrigerator. Pass them out to friends. And I have a 31-day email program. Every day for 31 days, you get an email and it has you looking at different things in your life. It's called I Am Connected to Me. And so every day you get an email. It could be, you know, one day it's cleaning out your pantry. The next day it's creating a playlist of what are songs that bring you joy. So then when you're feeling, you know, not so great, you go to your joy play playlist. Another day looking at, your relationships. It really goes through every area of your life, but I do keep it pretty simple so you can actually read the emails and do them every day. It's only $33 for 31 days of email coaching from me. Links will all be in the notes. You can find everything at yourjoyologist.com. There's a tab for the app, there's a tab for the shop, and there's a tab for courses. All right, let's get back to the episode. Let's go back to, so when you first start to really get into this work, are you, you know, because when people go through some transformational work, yeah, you're facing yourself and all the things that you've been believing and stuff like that. So it can be very freeing, but also like confronting. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, it's me. Oh, that's my, like yeah. these things. Because yeah, life happens. Shitty stuff happens for real. Like it's not everything is in your mind, right. but you have so much yeah. when you start to see your own part in everything and how you're showing yeah. up for your life and approaching your life. Right. So did, were you able to keep seeing those confrontations as like freeing or did you have any roadblocks of like wanting to be like, just put the blinders back on? Yeah. <laughs> see, you can't, you can't undiscover what you've discovered, yeah, right? Funny. You can't be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, no, I want to see it back this way. Oh, <laughs> no, you can't, you can't do that, right? You can't, you, once it's seen, it's seen. But 
it's it's kind of like in the name of syndrome, if you like, right? Like, so we, if you ask somebody like, why a particular relationship doesn't work, like, why don't you like that person? They'll say, well, they la 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 la. Okay, they'll say whatever thing is, and then I'll say, yeah, but who are you now in that relationship? And they'll say, no, I'm fine. I don't, you know, they're just being an asshole. They're always doing this and they're always doing that, and they that 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 that. I'll say, I know, but look right now, who are you? And then at some point, they'll say, well, I'm blaming them. All right, good. And then who are you about that point? Well, I'm I'm angry. All right, so now you've become this angry victim. And then like, no, no, I'm not an angry victim. And I go, look again, like, look, look at you in this part of your life. Who have you become? And you see your own sourness. You see your own, the side of oneself that we explain away. And we explain it away circumstantially. And what we're really saying is, I have no say with myself in this area of my life. I have no say in being joyful there or being loving or compassionate or understanding. That's not on me. That's just feelings that come up and I just, you know. So now, now you're just a robot. Now you're just a reaction machine. Right? You have, you're, you're not a conscious being. You're just a trail of old emotions and brain patterns reacting to whatever gets presented to you. So that when you start to see yourself in those terms like, when you take away the notion that I'm no longer going to explain why I am the way I am, and in fact, no, I'm going to be responsible for the way I am, and that's on me. So if I'm not happy, what am I not dealing with in my life that would allow me to express my happiness? Not find it, but express it, right? Happiness is an expression. Like, so is peace of mind. So is confidence. They're not, they're not located with you like, oh, yeah, found it. You know, it's not like that. It's what's currently in the way or what have I got in the way currently that's not allowing me to express it. That takes away this whole notion that what stuff's happening to you. And then you start to see this idea that, well, what if I, what if this thing, like, I'll, I'll live like life is happening to me. What if I am happening to life? What if life is just going on and I'm happening to it. Like I'm showing up and I'm seeing things a certain way and I'm hearing things a certain way and I'm like hooked by certain things, right? Like some people can't be in the room with some people in their life. They walk in the room, that person talks and they're like, oh yeah, I know what you mean, right? No, you just heard what you always hear. And it's absurd to think that triggers just with that person that triggers with all kinds of people. So uh, once you see yourself, and as I like to call it, your shtick, once you see your own shtick, you kind of get a little sick of yourself. Kind of like, oh, that's just ugly. Like, that's just brutal. Like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be that person. And I am that person. And I'm kind of like, oh, there's that bullshit right. story again. <laughs> so that's the first part. The first part is like, oh, shit, you know, I really am an asshole. The second part is... The first thought is, well, I'll just not be an asshole. Right? I'll just go out and I won't be that person. Okay? I'm just going to be great to people. Then you have to confront the damage done. Like already, what's the damage done? And then I say to people, what do you want? Do you want freedom or do you want the past? And they'll say, well, can I have both? <laughs> and I say, no. How are you? 
ultimately how you deal with your past. And this is a really simplistic way of saying it, but the one way to kind of get to the heart of dealing with your past is to come to terms with how you've used it to justify yourself. Mm. And when you come to terms, like you actually confront in the cold light of day, like this is how I've used my past to justify myself. And the ways that you've trained the people in your life to react to you, train them. Like you can say that, you can't say that. You can do this, you can't do that. And it's not been an act of training. It's been a kind of grinding down over time. Mm-hmm. You've trained people to relate to you when it back off. And believe it or not, you know, people hate hearing this, but it's true. The ways in which you manipulate situations to go your way, right? People hate, people hate the notion of being a manipulator. I'm okay knowing that I'm a manipulator. I know I'm amongst billions, so I'm not uncomfortable with it. But, but when you start to get awakened to the kind of little subconscious traits, characteristics, little things you do to make situations turn in your favor. You know, some people, I mean, you might know people like this, right, who are like kind to a fault, right? Like super kind, like just always being kind. And you're thinking, wow, they just get like walked all over, right? No, they're manipulating the shit out of people to get what they want. They want you to like them. I was about to just say that. (laughs) They want you to like them. And so I'll just fucking let me do shit for you. And I'm just going to kind the shit out of you until you do. Right. And and it's kind of, and you know it when you're in the presence of it. It's kind of got that same kind of thick, sticky, like, oh, that's just a little too much, right? Yeah, it yeah. like makes you question. Yeah, I actually, yeah. So this I call bullshit videos video series. Yeah. I did the one I just recorded that's coming out the week that we're recording this is I call bullshit on wanting to be a good person, right? <laughs> because it's like calling out the transactions. Like, are you doing something because you actually genuinely want to, or because you want them to think you're a good person? That you want them to think you're a good friend? You want them, you know, to do this for you? Right. Like, so where are you setting up a transaction of even like? Yeah. Or is it because you genuinely want to help pe- people or do this or because you want people to think you're a good person? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, the most authentic thing you do would be to say, I'm only doing this because I want you to like me. That would be actually really authentic. At least, yeah. At least you're like seeing that. Just, that is what I'm going to let you I'm going to help you move yourself up because I want you to like you, you to like me. And that's it, really. And by the way. What I'm hoping is that you like me enough that I can use that, that you like me later. And I call you. <laughs> right. So if I need some or I do something shitty, I'll be like, yeah, but the sofa, remember to help you move the sofa. That's right. But yeah, we're you, getting into these transactions in relationships, like without being conscious about them and then like waiting for the acknowledgement, the payback, the, and then you it, live into resentful resentment. It's <laughs> like that auntie from your childhood who would say, I love you. <laughs> like, uh, no, you got to give me that back. No, yeah. that's, that's you love me. Okay, good. <laughs> and then she gets mad at you if you don't say it. That's right. like, well, then, but I, you love me. So why are you getting... <laughs> welcome, welcome to half, half of the marriages in the United States right now. Like, I, well, I did that for you. Well, I didn't know that was currency, though. I didn't realize you were, you know, investing to take some money back out, you know, later on. It's amazing the degree to which we are just, we're just not, 
We're just not keyed into ourselves. We're not keyed into why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the point of me being this kind of person and not that person? Where, where does this take me? If I keep going in this pathway, as I like to ask people, how does this turn out for you? And the reality is, by the way, in the cold light of day, here's how it turns out. It's already turned up. This is it. You're in it. And the, the most you can hope for is better than this, which isn't some kind of crazy, brilliant, transformed you. I mean, you'll keep a bunch of hope in the background, right? Like, well, who knows? Might win the lottery or, you know. One of these days, I'm going to get painting. Or I'll these- start that business, you know. Um, yeah he's always been my passion i know but you'll be fucking dead by the time you realize that yeah okay so also at what point do you then stop like being a contractor or like stop you know having a sort of day job and then is it like so you transformation yourself you just then wake up and want to help other people and sort of shine the light genuinely not trying to make money and then people are like blah 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 blah. help me more i I want to pay you more i was doing more programs and courses and workshops and i was really like getting into this whole idea of this kind of particular brand of philosophy i'd be this is when i realized that in fact wasn't stupid right like in my the kind of tattooed noise in the background of my subconscious is i'm not smart enough and that also, you dropped out of high school. Did right. you ever continue to go to college? No. So you, so I'm guessing that relates to that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I must be stupid. I didn't even finish high school. Right, right. Well, actually, believe it or not, at 16, that, that was actually finishing. You know, you could have stayed oh. for an extra two years, but I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not staying. Home. That's an option there. So you but, didn't but like drop thing, out. This is the funny thing. So I look back and I thought, well, why didn't I go to college? I wasn't walking around going, I'm not smart enough for college. I wasn't, that wasn't a conscious thought of mine. It was more like, why would I go to college? Right. I'm going to make the money right now. I, it, it, it had colored my thinking so much that it was now my logic. And that's the thing that, that is interesting to me with people. People like when you, when you kind of dig into things with them, they're surprised when they find out what they've been saying to themselves. They're like, oh, wow. Like, I, I didn't realize, like, that was how I saw things. Why don't you realize it? Because you're living it, right? So sometimes, you know, we all use this phrase about self-limiting beliefs. You don't know your own. <laughs> Why? Because you believe them. You can see somebody else's. Oh, that's just a self-limiting belief. You're actually living yours. Like, everything you do, right, is based on some belief, some set kind of range within which you're going to live, you made that up. You totally made that up. And you believed certain things and bought any certain things. But, you know, ultimately you made that up. So as I kind of got into this working with myself, I realized I wanted to make a difference with other people. And within like three years of like my first doing a workshop, I got a job as a, as a, as a facilitator at a big personal development company. And I became a senior program director there. I, I became one of the leading kind of facilitators of that work in the world. And when you were still doing your workshops, though, were you working a, a regular job or did you had start like working this for yourself? Is when I was starting to kind of like I was I, I was like I was winding one down and growing any another. Like I Got knew it. this is what I, and, and it really was like for me, like I wanted to do it under the radar 
there was no, I had no online presence. I didn't want to tell anybody what I was doing. I was just doing it. It You're like, I'm going to be the biggest. How do I get my followers up and my tweets? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. I had never, you know, I had nothing in that area at all. My whole, you know, I, I wasn't even on social media. I had a closed Facebook account. I was just out doing it. I was uh, like teaching myself, empowering people in a really kind of very kind of strict discipline of, of philosophy and showing them the ways in which it could apply to the life and how to sort certain things out in the life and kind of working with them through some of the, like I said earlier, like some really horrific things from their past that they wanted to learn how to handle. And I became like, I, you know, I just was really good at it. I was very, very good at it. You know, I was like, I would go into a room of 200 people, flip all the lights on their head, like that, you know, like just end hours working through things, talking to people, boom, 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 let's talk about this, get to the next part of this. And by the time I was done with them, it was like, you know, it was like a, it was like an enema for your brain. Like it just cleaned you I up. I make up you were very like straight talk, not oh, yeah. sugar yeah, first though, because I was oh. nicer then. But were you no, nicer then, or did you no, make up no, that you couldn't curse? No, actually, I had a, I had an agreement with my employer that I wouldn't curse when I was. Yeah, okay. So I just I stuck to my agreement because that was a matter of my word. You know, I said I wouldn't, so I didn't. Yeah, but, but, I, yeah, but I was still very, very direct. Yeah, very direct, but but very loving. You know, like I'm a very yeah. uh, society to myself or an element of my humanity that I've allowed myself to explore like to authentically love other people and so so and I think that's a part a big part of my appeal now is people realize I'm saying something that's something's very very painful and even even like confronting to the point where you're furious but at the same time they get that I'm on their side like I yeah. don't I don't say shit to make you feel better if you want to feel better, have have a slice of pizza. You know, I mean, that usually does the job. Or a martini or something. Whatever, you know, floats your boat. But if, but if you want your life to be better, I find, right? And, and, I, and I'm not, again, I'm not blowing smoke here, but my experience of people is wide and extensive. It's not, I'm just not a guy with some random thoughts, you know. I mean, this is like years in the making. Many yeah, years. and you were out in rooms with pe- oh people in person around the world. Yeah, yeah. And like the most, you know, like leading a program to 200 people in Hong Kong, half of the room speaks Cantonese, the other half of the room, sp- you know what I mean? Like there's there's this um, real, like this real kind of commitment to get to humanity, to get beyond culture and get down into what is it to be a human being? What is it that that's the same about you, that's the same about me. And then he'd be able to work with people in a way that's invasive and and confronting, but still like you can set through it. Like you can you can set through it, you know, because you feel as if the person that you're working with is not only an expert, but they'll get you there. And so you kind of, there's a certain amount of surrender. Like I surrender myself to their trust Right, and they surrender themselves to my expertise, and this is why a lot of stuff in personal growth industry really does kind of like I, I take a great deal of issue with it. Those people in this industry just shouldn't be in it. You know, they're just like, oh yeah, I'm a life coach. Like based on what? Your Instagram account? 
Like, what have you done? You got to go and get people under your under your fingernails, you know, because it's it's a big deal to coach somebody. It's a big deal, man. You're in their life. That's somebody's life. Like their their relationship with their parents and their loved ones and their friends and their past. And, you know, they were, they could have been abused as a kid or they could have, like, there's a whole, and you're just like, oh, yeah, keep going. Like, you got to have a bit more to you than that, right? The other, the little caveat that I will add to that is, by the way, unless you have something really specific, that you're just really good at, then go. You can coach people in that, but don't pretend that you have you can you can handle lots. Like there are some people who are what I call accountability coaches, right? And they coach people and holding them accountable for what they said they would do. Awesome, but don't venture outside of that. Don't be like, oh yeah, let's talk about some, you know, like like something yeah. that's way outside of your pay grade, if you like, you know. Um, like I, like when somebody starts to come to me and I, and I can tell like they're really, and, and let's say in terms of like they're behaving in ways that are just outside of a certain range. I'm a, I'm a, like if they start to say stuff like um, I'm thinking about taking my own life, that's not appropriate for me to coach you. That's not appropriate. That's yeah, not. You're going to need some other guidance. Come back to me. But you need to go talk to somebody who's, that's their thing. Yeah. But if you're like, I've resented my father for 30 years. I hate him. How can I let go of that? Let's go. Oh, come on. Or, you know, why do I feel like I'm a piece of shit? Come on, let's go. And by the way, not like, it's amazing. You know, people think that you just need to encourage people. If somebody thinks they're a piece of shit and you're like, no, you're not a piece of shit. Like that's going to work. That's not going to work. Just go say affirmations. Right. You- I mean, I, I love affirmations, but you need to do a lot of work <laughs> on facing what it is that you're trying to turn the thought around. Like, that's, so I'm like- that's, that's the problem that a lot of people don't understand. Like, uh, what, the, the reason why for a lot of people affirmations don't understand is because you do, don't work for you because you don't believe it. Yeah. Like, I am, I am, I am, I'm not. I am, I am, I am, I'm not. I am, I am, I'm not. I am, I'm not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you drive yourself on that. Do the work to understand, like really beyond an explanation. Yeah. Why you say you're not. Yeah. What That's where I'm at. I, I early on was like all about affirmations and they're transformative. And then I saw though, I'm actually doing a disservice in, in, in a way if I'm not you know, making sure that I am and that I'm sharing with other people that they can't just say these positive statements. They have to look at what is keeping them from like, what are they telling themselves? What is happening? What is the doubt? What is the fear? What are they? I'm not enough. I'll never get this. And then to like ask yourself questions about that and ask, well, what do you want to believe? And then turning it and you might not be able to first get to I am this. So then it could be, I believe that I'm never going to get enough job. And I am like trying to figure out how to work it in there. But yeah, like I was like, and I do, I still share a lot of affirmations, but I make sure to, I not make them just joy. This And like naming the, the, you have to name the doubts and fears. You have to name the stuff that you don't want to hear that is happening in your mind (laughs) in order to be able to move through it, to see the positive. I'm not a fan of positivity. I'm not a fan of being positive. (laughs) Fuck positive. Can you do it or not do it? Yeah, um, and, and that, by the way, I'll tell you, like the most, 
the biggest victories of my life were when I was most negative. Like the, the, like that was when, like I would say that's probably one of the biggest strengths I've managed to gather for myself is can I keep doing it when I don't want to? And if you can keep doing it when you don't want to, then you're good. You're gold because when that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling comes back and you do want to do it, then you can do it. And then when that's not there, you can still do it. That's really, I mean, my first book was written while the noise in my head was telling me this is shit. And it was every day. It was like, this is shit. You don't know what you're doing. Get out your depth. You know, and that was the noise. And every day I would just flip open the laptop, type in some words. Let's go. And, uh, and the noise at times was really loud, like really loud. Um, but I would keep typing until it got quieter. Yeah. I would be good again. Yeah. And that's, that's the key for people. It's, it's the, it's the, can you go beyond how you feel to produce a result that's consistent with who you are? Love that. Hmm. And yeah, I'm the same. My brand is your joyologist and I, and some, I can see where people must assume that I must always be about like sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. But I'm the same way. Like I was put on a panel and it was like a positivity panel. And I was like, oh, I'm like, cause I do. I'm like, I don't believe actually. in like, you have to turn your frown upside down. You have to see the glass full. I feel like I'm more of a realist. I see the, I look around and see what is true. And then I allow myself to push myself into like, okay, well, what can I make my experience of this be? Like, what do I yeah. want to see? And what do I want, like, whatever. But to really make sure I'm seeing the full picture and not just trying to let me just look over here. I'm just going to look up. I'm not going to see all this stuff that's terrible. And <laughs> I, I would much rather work with people who like are cynical. Like I'd much, people are like, this is shit. I'm like, oh, yeah. Because I feel like they're being more honest, right? Like, they're actually awesome. seeing. Right, right. Yeah. And so, but, but, you know, it's, again, it's one of my bugbears, you know, when people are like, just focus on the positive. But there are people out there who their experience of themselves is that they can't. Like, that's not available for them. And so when somebody says, well, just focus on the positive, they're like, screw you. You don't get what this is like. So I'm very much on their, their side. I'm like, yeah, like, let's talk about what that's like for you. Not too long, but let's talk about it. And then let's talk about, well, what's a strategy we could put together? That if we put the strategy together, even when you're that way, looking for certain cues and hints and tips, that if you were that way, you could still do this, right? Which takes you back to that whole kind of philosophy of uh, stoicism of you're not your feelings. You know, you have feelings. That's right. Are your feelings important? Yeah. But sometimes not that important. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not everything. <laughs> um, okay, it's okay. Well, to be pissed okay. off. It's okay to be pissed off and down. And all that. It's all fine. That's okay. Don't make that wrong. Yeah, because that's another thing. Then you're like piling the feelings on top of the feelings. Right. It's kind of like getting depressed about being depressed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now you have how many books out now? And you just came out with. Is the audiobook out? It's coming out. It's coming out any day now. So um, the well, it'll probably be out by the time right, this is out. Twenty first. Which... So I've got three books. This new audiobook is coming out. Then I got another book coming out at the end of this year. Then another audiobook coming out early next year. And then another. Oh, also, book. and what it made you? Because I believe all your book titles include Curse the F. Word. 
Yes. So no, what then no, made you no. then lead one into that? Say, one of them just what? say shit. Yeah. So um, what, like, was that just part of you, like, became an authentic part of you that you wanted to put out there? Was that you wanting to use those words to get attention? Like, not to get attention, but yeah. like, because you know, that's a big thing to put. I yeah. even, yeah, like, one of my sayings has always been fuck the shoulds do the once. And so now I'm writing this book about eliminating shoulds and it is the do I'm thinking about just going with F the shoulds. And I'm like, do I want to use a curse word on the top of my book or on the front of my book? Well, well, can I give you the background on it? So when I I wrote my first book, I self published on the Amazon platform. Yeah. And eventually I sold uh, 30,000 copies of that book in my own. And for anybody that's ever self-published, 500 copies is an international bestseller in the pub- <laughs> publishing world, right? And um, what's more likely is you sold 28 copies, 27 of whom went to your mother and her friends, right? That it's it's hard, right? It's very hard, a uh, very challenging way to get your message up, right? And I thoroughly encourage people to do it. It's a brilliant process. But uh, when I when I wrote that book, and I knew I wanted to call it on Earth Yourself, right? I knew I wanted to call it that. But there was only one other book. There was two books out there in the world that had a curse word in the title, right? One of them, the curse word, the curse word was badass. Oh, right. You are right? a badass. That was, uh, that was the curse word. Which was, has became a huge book. Right. Oh, yeah. So I spoke to a few people and they all said, don't do it. Don't do it. And... Uh, they said, you, you won't be able to advertise anywhere. Facebook won't let you advertise. You know, uh, Amazon won't even let you advertise. They'll carry your book. They won't let you advertise, right? And then I thought, I don't care. Like, it's got to be me. Because I cursed. And that felt like you wanted to use that title because that felt like the most, this is what I want. Yeah. This is the message. Like, I mean, people were saying to me, you know, your book should be called Go Get It. Like, what the, f- I don't talk that way. I don't go get it. I would do, you can do, that's not me. I'm like, you're an asshole. Like I should call it that, you know? And, and, and so I was, I was willing at that time, like I still am to just live and die with who I am. I mean, what am I supposed to do? And, and the thought that was in my mind, I remember when I first kind of started to build this notion that I would be an online presence. And I, and I, I went to a marketing company and I spoke to them and, and they had this image of me as if I was going to be sitting there in my blue blazer and chinos, you know, like you can do it. <laughs> Which I was just like, oh my God. We can market this version of you. And I just I said to them, you guys, you're so, like, you guys are relating to me like I'm Ario Speedwagon and I'm the fucking Sex Pistols, right? And those were the actual words I used. And they were all like, I love it. Oh, you're the Sex Pistols. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm like kicking the door in. And you guys have got me ringing the bell, shouting "yoo-hoo!" So I was committed. Like, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to go all in, you know. And again, I had a lot of people saying, "Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it!" And the thing is, when you've got an edgy title like that, you'll get a well. Then anyway, you got a little bit of interest. Like people are like, "Oh, there's your title," you know. Yeah. But I got way more bad news than good news. Like, oh, well, you know, why did you pick a title like that? You know. And then, so I, you know, and and in it was a at that point in this and in, in the publishing world, it was a much bigger burden than a selling point. 
and I mean way bigger. It was a way bigger burden than a selling point. What eventually pulled me through was the content. Because there's only a handful of curse words in the entire book. The content, people loved it. They were like, this book is great. Like, you know, and I was online on Facebook doing Facebook Live and reading the book to people and then taking questions and telling people about why this might apply to their life. And what I noticed really quickly is people would buy a copy and then they'd buy four copies for their friends. And then I was like, oh, this must be good. People must, you know. And, and then within, I think, six months, I had an offer from a publisher. I got an agent. And then I think we eventually solicited something like 20 offers for the book. Like people wanted that, publishers wanted it. All the and major- were they trying to change the name when they were going to take it into publishing or they were just... No. This guy's only, only the publisher that I eventually went with, Harper Collins, uh, Harper Warren actually, they didn't want to change anything about the book. Not the cover, not the content, nothing. That's they so said, awesome. They said, we're just going to take it off the shelves for two months, turn it into a hardcover, get it printed up, and re release it. And I'm like, and it was a big risk for me at the time. It's a massive risk because I was making good money. <laughs> you know, it was great. I was selling thousands of copies a month, you know, and as a self-published author, you're getting a big chunk of that money, you know, which is yeah. very different from when you're published from a major publisher, you know, you get kind of right. Like, so you know, part of you think maybe I just stick with the self-publishing, this money is rolling in and going to me. Right. So then, so then you're left with like, I always come back to this point. It's so it's such a freeing thing for me, but that's about me. Right. If they publish it, it has the more potential to reach more people. That's about them get into bookstores around the world with ease rather than me like banging down the door. What an asshole I would be like, oh no, let me just keep it here because I make more money. Like that was never my, I'm like, screw it. Like the chance that somebody in some corner of, you know, Albuquerque could get it at the local bookstore. No, I'm doing that, right? I'm definitely doing that. It was, it was, it was, it was a completely like a no brainer to me. Like I'll do it. And it was a big risk in terms of like the income, but I, I was never in this for the money. I just was never in this for the money. I, you know, really like authentically, uh, you know, I was in it to make a difference with people. So, but they took it and uh, they kind of honored my approach, which is always based in this just kind of unrelenting authenticity. And, um, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. You know, we would sell 5,000, 6,000 copies a week. You know, every week it was saying, that's just a hardcover. That's not an audio book. And it was just going and going and going. And it's still, the book, that book still sells about the same amount of copies every week as it's always done. That's amazing. It still sells. It's still one of the top 20 audio books in the country week in and week out. Uh, it sold over a million audio books, over 2 million copies overall. And, and it's, people have found it unbelievably useful. Um, do I make money from it? Yeah, but that's just like, you know, that's like kind of winning the lottery, I guess, a little bit. Like I wasn't anticipating that. And I certainly wasn't relying on that. And I think that shows with people. I think people know that when they read stuff from me, it's about them. You know, very, very rarely do I, you, you're one of the few people I've ever, I've ever really talked about my life to. Not because I'm hiding some, it's just because it's kind of boring. You know, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm more interested in some 
unemployed single mother in Philadelphia struggling with her life or some guy who was abused when he was 10. And, you know, I'm I'm more interested in them. I'm more interested in, like, or somebody who's been stuck in a point of view or stuck with a belief or, you know, I'm, I'm more interested. That's way more fascinating to me, way more inspirational if you like you know to use your life for a purpose that's greater than your own it doesn't get any better than that as far as i'm concerned i totally agree i love to get into people's journeys though for the people that are listening and make up oh this person's a best-selling author they life must have always been this way or something like that so i like to get into people's stories because i'm hoping that people listening can see something from themselves in that and then open up the door yeah. To yeah. starting to look at their own lives differently. I totally get it. You know, if anything I'd want your listeners to get is there's, there's nothing extraordinary happening over here. You know, this is, I'm, a, I'm an ordinary man who took a jump. <laughs> All right. Let's quickly get to the things that I ask everybody. So first, I'm going to bring up an image of. I have a product line, and these are all phrases that go on the keychains. Yeah. So I ask every guest to pick not necessarily which one is their favorite, um, but which key, which phrase they would like the, their, in their life as a reminder. Um, every, right now, I think um, I think just let that shit go. Yeah. Yeah. And why is that? Um, because I'm, you know, like it's Jean-Paul Sartre, the French existentialist. God, their life is empty and meaningless. Like it doesn't fucking mean anything. It's all just what you make up in your head. <laughs> and um, so the shit you're letting go seems like it's a big deal. It's not. It's all meaningless bullshit. No one will even know you were fucking here in 200 years. <laughs> Love it. Okay, what is a go-to that you do to raise your joy levels? Oh, just just like I, I take one look at my children like I'm... I'm moved by them. Like, I, you know, don't get me talking about my kids. I'll bawl like a big baby. I just, they, I'm knocked out by them. I'm just so privileged at the opportunity that I get to be someone for, for another human being like that. And it really is like who you get to be for someone. That's an honor. Like, it's some of your listeners, by the way, they're somebody's sister, they're somebody's brother, somebody's neighbor. Like you get to be someone for people. And if you actually start to open your eyes to that, like who you get to be for people, then then life becomes a lot more fun. It's a lot more like shit. Like it's a game. It's not not a I'm not aspiring to something. I'm expressing something. Love that. Love that idea of shifting that who I get to be for them. Um Okay, ask everybody how to place this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Can mm. you think of a way to apply this? What is easiest for me is to do blank. What is best yeah. for me is to do this. What is easiest for me is to talk. So there was a, another philosopher. I think it was Edmund Husserl. I'm quoting philosophers here like I'm expert in all of them. I'm not, but there's some that I do read quite a bit. But anyway... I believe it was Husserl, who was more of a speaker than a writer. Like, and he didn't really like writing. He, would, he really just loved to go talk. And to me, like some of my best ideas have come as I'm just in full-on conversation with someone. Like it comes to life for me. 
So that's easy. What's best for me, though, is to write that shit down. Like, I don't always do that. I'm always like, oh, there's plenty more where that came from. You know, I've got tons of shit. <laughs> so, I'm like nodding my head. Like right, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and so the problem is, though, there's been like brilliant things people have said. I remember that thing you said, and I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> awesome the last question is the name of the podcast is claim it because i believe we are so often putting things outside of ourselves you know oh once i do this have this be this have the nice car marry this person whatever then i'll feel joyful fulfilled successful enough worthy yeah but you're usually just chasing it you know know, get the thing and then move on to the next and so i feel we have to claim it for ourselves every day sometimes every moment of the day because The bullshit stories come up. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? My power. You know, I'm a, I'm a fucking force of nature. I don't always feel like it. But my acknowledging that and being aware of that, I'm a force of nature. When I join up what I say with what I do, there's no, I, I put this, there's this little thing that I said a while back. I said, whatever you're up to in life, you have to make it so compelling, so irresistible so undeniable that no one can question it. that it's so radically freaking great it's success is only down to you that's it own your power love it love it love it thank you so much I'm definitely gonna link to all your books and all your things and send everybody your way love you and your message Good. thank you so much it's been a great interview <laughs> you're welcome all right i hope you enjoyed that episode getting into more of gary's story thought process and all of that for full show notes you can get links to things we mentioned go to yourdryologist.com slash podcast and you'll find all the episodes there for more on gary get his books learn more about his work at GaryJohnBishop.com and at GaryJohnBishop on social media. Of course, all things me are YourDryologist.com and I'm at YourDryologist. And I love, 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 love to hear from you. So feel free to send me a DM. I love seeing you share the episodes and tag me in them. But let me know what you think of the guests, what we talk about, what ahas you may have had, and I would really love if you went and left a review for the podcast. This really helps podcasts. Subscribes and reviews are what like mark podcasts of being, you know, more found and get them into the top numbers and all of that stuff. And also, I love hearing from you. So if you leave a review, screenshot it and send it to podcast at yourdryologist.com and I'll send you a little gift for my product line. Just like I have every guest pick a keychain, I have keychains, of course. I have magnets, I have mugs, I have journals, I have notepads. I've got all sorts of goodies with all different types of empowering sayings. You can go find all the products at shop.yourdrologist.com. Get my app, hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations in your app store. It's called Own Your Awesome. And yeah, like I said, I love hearing from you. And let's leave with the final thought of I would love to know. 
What are you claiming for yourself right here, right now, right in this moment? It could be something like, I claim joy. I claim I am worthy. It could be a claiming a dream for yourself. I claim I'm a writer. I claim I'm a yoga teacher. Whatever it is, think about it. Whatever comes in your gut, in your heart, name it. Claim it. <laughs> I didn't mean to rhyme, but I like that. Name it and claim it. Do, do, do. Okay. <laughs> All right. Keep on listening to more awesome episodes, or you'll find a new one here next week. <laughs>